like, okay, say you have a log and you know you set it on fire and it burns down to ash and, and, and there's no getting it back, right? Unless, unless you're an alchemist. The magnum opus, that's what it's all about. The truly great alchemists know how to control matter and energy. It allows them to access eternity like they're sitting above the maze, no past, no future. to the inaugural virgin run of pod 49 the fan recap podcast for the great amc show lodge 49 which will be returning to the airwaves with its second season on august 12th 10 p.m monday nights we'll be ready We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. But I'm joined by my buddies Jim and Bart. We'll be the core team. People might come in and out. We don't know. But we'll be the core team. This and the next episode uh, will basically be our kickoff to what will really be a season two recap. Um, where we'll have an episode every week, recapping the new episodes, diving in, sharing our hot takes, et cetera, et cetera. But what we wanted to do here is really to jump in and kind of get our feelings on tape, set it up, set us up for the new season. If you don't know, Lodge 49 is a show on AMC, as I've said. It is a comedy, it's a drama, it's, it is unclassifiable. It basically centers around uh, characters living in Southern California, kind of making their way in post-industrial, late-stage capitalism. We'll be obviously diving into that more. Uh, a little bit of a warning. If you have not seen the show and you really don't want to be spoiled, then turn us off, go watch it, and come back and enjoy the podcast. Or if you're like, hey, I want to check out what this Lodge 49 thing is, I'm going to catch up with you guys and jump in in season two and be along for the ride. That is also A-okay. All right, so let's jump into this. We got all of our spiels out of the way. We'll give you more details about the show as we go on. Bart, let's start with you. What resonated with you about Lodge 49? Why are we up late night recording this podcast? Yeah, so you recommended the show to me, and uh, I gave it a watch, and about 12 minutes in, there was a Lee Hazelwood song, and I just sort of thought, okay, I'm in. I'm hooked. <laughs> um, and then as more of the story unfolds, I kind of found myself really um, connecting with it because I have a small business myself. also worked with my brother-in-law at a pool company, years ago, and he now owns his own pool company. Um, so there was a lot of that in there. I, the shop is very familiar to me. I'm also a father to boy-girl twins, so um, that resonates with me a lot. And certainly not last, but last but not least, my father had passed away uh, about six months prior to watching the show. So yeah, that had a huge uh, hook as well. Kind of found myself immediately engrossed with the characters and what they were going through. You know, I just sort of really did not take much effort. I just kind of fell in love with the show, like, from the beginning, and it didn't really take much, and I just kind of got more and more interested in it as it went on. Let me say, I'm actually Chris, Chris Larry. I'll take the first pass, and I'll kick it to you, Jim. I was watching Better Call Saul, and they were promoting it heavily on Better Call Saul, so I was like... Uh, it, I don't know. It wasn't grabbing me when I was just watching the trailers. But I saw a couple reviewers that I like, I listened to, or read their stuff, and they're like, yeah, give this show a chance, whatever. Um, and I don't know why. It was like, you know, 
the mysteries, I guess. I decided I'm going to give this show a, a, a shot. And I maybe was maybe four or five episodes behind. So watch one, watch two, watch three, you know, but basically catch up to the, the weekly airings pretty quick or right towards the end. And I was just kind of blown away. I'm like, this is a this is like the hidden gem of 2018. Um, it was definitely my favorite show of 2018. There's so much to go deep on, but it's also super wide. There's lots of characters. It touches on a lot of things. It like doesn't ma- mind if it meanders back and forth. I thought the performances was great. I just thought it was an excellent TV show. A great hang. That was the big thing for me too. It was just like I wanted to be in the world. It's like when you read a good novel, right? Like you want like you want to jump back. You want to exist in the world that you're that fictional world. And then it made so many good points about the society and the world we live in in a non-didactic and non-angry, but just as raw, just as detailed, and just as where the injustices were were not glossed over. So I just thought I had never seen anything like that on television in terms of like that kind of capturing a certain spirit of the age i've been like a pied piper for the show ever since you know you know you, you two converts here doing this podcast with me us and pat oswald who apparently is like a giant fan he's like he, he's everywhere you know giving praise for this for this show so uh, uh all, all hail chubby guys from the dc maryland virginia area jim what what connected you to this show like you know I, I tell you, watch it you're like all right what else have i got to do and then a couple episodes in you're like dude what you know, like, this is awesome. Yeah, so actually my first exposure was that I had somehow ended up on the AMC email list, and they kept emailing me about other shows. So I'd get these emails saying, oh, Lodge 49, here's what happened on the last episode. And I just something about the visuals or the short descriptions, I was like, what is this? It sounds interesting to me. And I would maybe open up another tab to be like, I'll save that show in my browser and come back to it later, and then never would. And then eventually, yeah, you posted something about it. We talked about it, just that you were so blown away by the show. And then Mark, our mutual friend who may guest star on a future episode of the podcast, also recommended it highly. And then being a freelancer and having a lot of free days and making, <laughs> making my own schedule, working at home, I think I watched the whole thing in like two days. I just, once I started, I just couldn't stop. When I was reading reviews of the show in the past few days to prepare for the podcast, you know, a certain set of words that all these critics use to describe the show, like zany, quirky, offbeat, weird wacky and in a way you know all those things are appropriate there's some things that verge even on the silliness scale but for me the emotional connections between the characters and just their own reckonings with what they're going through were just so real and so easy to to relate to that for me was much more powerful than uh kind of the quirkiness factor which is part of the show's appeal too the critical reaction was interesting as you bring up it was like that you know everything's quirky or you know it's a little bit offbeat kind of niche a lot of people were talking about how AMC at the time was like throwing up a bunch of different kinds of shows on their network to see what people were liking. And it was just was like a kind of almost like its own tight. You know, one of the things I used to describe it just a few minutes ago was like what a good hang it was. But that that also seems to be, Jim, I'm picking up like it's almost like a little bit of a like a detractor statement that some of these reviews have. And I've started to bristle, especially in the rewatch. I started to bristle at that because you can be kind of uh, po- not positive is the wrong word, but you, you don't have to be negative and angry 
to be complex and frustrated. Like you were saying, I think the show kind of does defy definition, right? And I think that people kind of need to be able to try to define things, especially when they're talking about it. Uh, we've seen in interviews that Jim Gavin himself has said that, like, you know, that's because it doesn't have a plot, you know? And he makes a joke about it and gets laughter from the crowd, and I'm sure he doesn't actually feel that way to some degree, but I think a big part of making the show is also marketing the show and so we were trying to explain to people, like, from a marketing perspective of why it's appealing, it's, it's, it's actually a difficult, to its credit, I think, a difficult thing to do. Like, I watched the whole first season just in, in enjoying it without, like, making all these connections. And when I rewatched it, then I kind of saw all these other things that I hadn't noticed before. That kind of goes without saying. But it may, like, once you know where it's going, then you, you can see that there, the plot is really intricate throughout the whole season and there's lots of different things going on there's sort of many plots and they're all just as sort of powerful they're just not as in like a you know maybe traditional fashion where there's like an answer to everything you know and they're certainly isn't that to me is more of a charm of it and more reflective of actual life so that's a great point and we'll, we're, we're going to talk more about like the kind of mis mysteries behind the show and this second part of this uh, kind of kickoff twofer so much in our culture, we need answers, you know, your, our pop culture, you know, everyone's in this quest for answers. And in TV shows are always like, if the, if the puzzle box doesn't make sense, and this show has puzzle boxes, and they don't care if you don't care, and they want you to wonder if they care about those mysteries and puzzle boxes, and because shit is weird, right? Like, we have all kinds of mysteries and questions in, in our life. I like that, that kind of open-ended, yeah, you might not learn it. You know, you might not know. What do you think? You know, there's a sort of relativism about it that I liked. And I think also, like, we're kind of seeing that people aren't always, <clears throat> they assume that people aren't going to like something because it doesn't follow to a certain script. But as we're kind of seeing, I think, in real life, that that's uh, becoming more and more appealing to people, that this kind of, like, off-script sort of brand. A little bit, I think, of how AOC is so popular is because she kind of is doing it differently. And and it's not what people, you know, they keep saying, like, what you're not supposed to sort of do, but she sort of is doing that. And it's really appealing. And I, and I, I think there's something to this, to the show about this as well, where it's like, a typical show is supposed to have more uh, neatly tucked in corners and this, that, and the other, and, and play to a certain expectation. And it doesn't necessarily follow that path. Now that you say that, AOC's boyfriend does have a dud quality to him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a couple of the touchstones people talk about, people mention a show, Terriers, which is like kind of one of those one-and-done season shows. It was a great show, set in a similar environment. Um, they talk about, obviously, the Dud character has a very big Lebowski. So you get those kind of like stoner, white guy vibes. And maybe that should transition into us talking a little bit about the three main characters. Dud is one. He's kind of a surfer guy. He's played by... The literal offspring of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. His name is Wyatt Russell. If you were a chemist and were in charge of distilling <laughs> and recombining the charms of Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell into one new human being, it might actually be Wyatt Russell. No, he's perfect. I mean, when you first see him, you're like, you can see both the parents in there. and It's uh, crazy. Yeah, it's really kind of nuts. But in a good way, it's like, it's not like, and I mean, he's perfect for the role. The other two really main characters, and, and they seem less obvious, even in the first couple episodes, but by like three, four, Ernie, who's a, a Dud's friend, African-American, 59-year-old plumbing salesman, and then his, Bart mentioned his twin sister, Liz... Um, really emerges... Dud's twin sister. Yeah. Dud's twin sister, yes, sorry, not Ernie's. So Ernie's late middle age, he's kind of down on his luck, he's got some things that are going well in his life, 
and he's got some things that are going down, and him and Dud bond over over the lodge because Ernie's like deep. He's a luminous knight at the lodge. Et Wait, I, I would actually like to cut in here, okay, um, please, because I, I don't know if I would say that Ernie bonds with Dud so much as Dud bonds with Ernie, and oh, that's almost to like a irritating degree for Ernie. You know, Ernie's more interested in, like, social aspect of the Lodge, not as much as, like, the mythological and background of it and the scrolls and that kind of thing. And I think Dud is into that. He's sort of into both, which is why Dud is, like, you know, maybe, like, the chosen one of the Lodge or whatever. But I think the social aspect of it has a, a beginning and an end, which I think Ernie likes, which it's like, we go to the Lodge, we hang out, and then it's over, and I go back home to my real, to my life. And Dud is extending that. And so Dud kind of crashes his pad for a while, then tries to make up for it by buying the TV, but then he hooks it up to the wall and it crashes. Like, and the, these things get on Ernie's nerve. He throws Dud out of the house, you know. And and Dud is his squire, so you know it would make sort of sense in that regard that like person beneath you would kind of your student or whatever would get a little bit under your skin. Watching it a second time, I kind of realized how much that Ernie is a little bit more hesitant towards Dud. Well, he you know, rips him. He off. rips him off in the very beginning, <laughs> and then you know. He's not about it. I mean, he does feel bad about it, you know, and so he feels sort of indebted to him, but he kind of, like, hates Dud until he shows up at Captain's door, basically, and he's like, what the... Dud? And Dud's I don't like, know if he hates him. I don't think he hates him, no. I mean, that's, that scene something. happens right after he throws Dud out of his well, house. Well, just want a moment of He's anger. angry at him, but I yeah. don't think he... I hate is strong. But, I mean, he's <laughs> he's had it with him. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, sure. no, no doubt. No doubt. So you get this real relationship between these two characters. Because Dud says, like, oh, you're here to apologize? Yeah. And he's like... What the fuck are you talking about? Like, I'm not apologizing to you, you know. <laughs> Their relationship drives the show. And there's a little, like, uh, what's the Mice and Men character? Lenny and what? Uh, the... I almost said Squiggy. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> George. Yeah, that right here, Lenny and George. There's almost like a little bit of a, you know, Lenny and George quality to them. And then the other character is Liz, the twin. Jim, are you ready to introduce Liz? Sure. All right. Okay. Liz, who is played by Sonia, Sonia Cassidy, who is English, which I cannot tell because she does a perfect American accent. A lot of these uh, reviews of the show of season one refer to Liz and Dud as the yin and yang because their personalities seem so opposite and complementing. She's the practical one, the realist, and is always trying to get him to get his shit together. But she's got her own issues. She's a waitress at Shamrocks. Two X's. Now, what did That's you, not an issue, now, what, did you, what, what did you call it? More upscale Hooters? Uh, yeah, with yeah. an Irish twist? No, I someone called it Hooters and I I said more upscale. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. She was the smart one in the family and was supposed to go to college and was supposed to do great things. And for some reason, she keeps sabotaging herself. Well, I well, mean, he sabotaged her ultimately by having her well, go he sign did alone ultimately. Sure. And then checking out. So she got. It's true. She got stuck. But then she gets these chances during the show to kind of change her fate and uh, doesn't really know what to do with them. Um, or at least the one what executive we... program, you know? Let's let's get into this for a second. What did we think about Liz throwing herself off the boat in that one? It, okay, so well, whatever. We're not. Re you're either watching it or you're not. So you know, you, well, like, yeah. If you've seen the show, then you know that Liz she throws herself jumps off yeah. the boat in the middle of a corporate mingle with the other distilled uh, junior executives, the Essence. Yeah. It's like if Jim had thrown himself off the booze cruise in the office, basically. <laughs> I actually related really. Uh, I identified with, with that action because I had this one boat trip 
with coworkers <laughs> in the late 90s that was a total nightmare. It's still talked about by people I worked with. Just crazy <laughs> things happened, bad things were said and done. Luckily, I liked most of my coworkers, but there were other people on the boat too. The thing was, I, and I feel like some of my coworkers might have jumped off it if it hadn't been in New York Harbor in December mm-hmm. and freezing cold. So when she did that, I just, I really felt like, oh yeah, I wish I could have done that. The show does such a great job because in some ways, you know, she's getting like all this validation really from this, you know, there's a, you know, the startup queen, you know, this sort of Silicon Valley influencer. Sheryl Sandberg type. Yeah, exactly. And like, she's get, you know, like you're, you're the real one. You're getting all the validation. Here's the keys to the Golden Kingdom. I'm really just a little girl. And the like, Golden Kingdom that where you get to dress up as the like guy with the massive head and do <laughs> the worm on the boat. You know, I, I wholeheartedly condone her jumping off the boat. It's one of my favorite moments of the season. Yeah. Um, I think she's absolutely correct. That's not the right path for her. And she knows it you know she says at one point i just think that i'm gonna find the place that i like and then sort of apply myself to it and they kind of recognize that that she is going to be she is what they're looking for you know she's very um competent and and, um smart and that's what they want and but they can't turn her into that person that they want her to be and uh, and she knows that and she kind of jumps off and she's not even actually 100 percent sure of what she's actually doing she walks back three days later right but that was more to do with i think trying to maybe see if she could rekindle something with corporate you know which I think is his well, actual name I right I think it is, it is his character it's his character's name, name is corporate, uh, corporate. I love uh, but I think that it never changes she maybe was also I don't know it's hard to know what was in her head but she did have the suit on the only bad thing about it was that she lost the messages from her dad on her phone yeah that, she lost her phone yeah, that, that really uh, yeah, yeah sort of bummed me up I don't know I, I go back and forth I think it's like the most one of the most like heroic FU's on the show and it, it it makes me Looney Tunes too. First time you see it when you don't expect it. I mean, they do a great job because she gets all this love basically. Yeah. Theoretically, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, and then... You think she's going to like, oh, but, this is how she's going to get out of debt. Yeah, you're... and she goes over the edge so almost like, it's like almost like ballet. It's really fast. Yeah, yeah. Like... And don't, it doesn't give you time to think about <laughs> no. is it going to happen. Yeah. It's, uh, whether, whatever you feel about it, if you don't feel about whatever, they, just the blocking of the scene is amazing how yeah. fast she goes over. No, I love it. And then she ends up on the Orbis uh, yeah. refrigerator <laughs> that the trebuchet was successfully launched into the harbor. And that's one of those things. It, you know, for those of you that have watched it once and using this as a little bit of a clip notes or whatever, and you, you know, you're kind of like going to stumble into season two. When you rewatch it, like things like the trebuchet launched Orvis refrigerator as her lifeboat are just magical yeah. to sort of pick up on. And it's right after Janet basically reveals that she's miserable, right? I mean, she's supposed right. to be considered the most successful person and she's clearly just miserable. And, uh, you know, I think Liz is like, I'd rather just be a champ. If, if this is what it's about, I'd rather be a Shamrocks then. Like, and, and maybe one day there'll be a place where I'll apply myself. You know, it's not going to be the lodge like it is for Dud, but it'll be something. And then she'll she'll go with it and she'll run with it. And, you know, like, she makes the smartest decision of her life. And, in fact, corporate, when, one of my favorite lines is when he says, like, I tried to save you. Yeah, that, no. yeah, that was fun. <laughs> but I kind of felt like that was, like, where they needed to, like, really, like, lay it home. But he, he said it with enough sincerity that it seemed very real to me. I don't know. I, that made me laugh out loud. And I thought it was awesome that they actually didn't make corporate 
like a giant douche. No, you like him. No, yeah, like, up until that point. Yeah, he's just he's and just, she's kind of treated him like shit. Yeah, like it's he is a good he's dude. Just a workaday guy in a right, different suit. Right, like what like we were saying, like yeah. everybody is a cog in some manner or another. Yeah, and everybody's just as miserable and just just as unhappy. Right, I mean. Ultimately, so like I, I think corporate's supposed to be a very likable guy until that very moment, which is also why it's like even more funny in a sense, you know. Like, but it's also after she's like he went to her door, like he was worried sick about her, you know, and she just it blew him off, you know. So he's well within his rights to say get out, which he yeah. does. But when he says, "I try to save you," that, that's try, like the like, oh, we were liking him, right? Which the <laughs> show does a lot, right? So yeah. that's. Like when Bert is talking about uh, paying four thousand for the watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Didn't you hear him? That Doug needs a surgery." And he's like, "That means that he'll like he'll he'll they'll come back and pay twice for the watch." You know, it like kind of changes that. And then the whole scene when Dud is is uh, apologizing to the to the people who took over their house, and then he like ruins it at the end by trying to come in and uh, you know barbecue with them and stuff like that. There's a lot of moments in the show that, that kind of like do that little flip that, and they do it really well and comical and sad and lots of things at the same time. So this is a big loose end because we don't know where she's going to be or what she's going to be doing in season two because uh, she couldn't get her job back at Shamrocks. They hired two new girls, cross out young women. I hired two new girls, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> so, you said yeah. I always have a home here. <laughs> like, we know her dad is gone. She doesn't have a job. World is her oyster. I love the blank slating for Liz in season two. I mean, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a softie, I guess. But I, I want to get, I want to see her get on some path. Yeah, because Dud, yeah. you know, you go from, I mean, shark bite aside. You go from first episode to ten. Like, he's gone on a... His life has gotten Heroes better. Journey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like, well, yeah. He's got... His life has gotten better. You know, he's found the lodge. You know, he's found friends. He's actually the temp jobs. You know, like... And, I mean, the biggest thing holding Liz back is the debt, right? That $80,000. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, so, like, she's, that's gone. So, she, right. once the debt is gone, she doesn't need Shamrocks or the stupid, shitty uh, corporate job, right? Yeah, no. She can kind of... She is kind of free to do whatever she wants. Yeah. I do uh, hope that we will see her at the lodge at some point. That has not happened as of yet. She hasn't intersected much with the lodge. Just at yeah, the but that's not her thing. I don't but just at the memorial. Well, but they had a nice moment where she has a no moment with Blaze. Uh, Blaze played by... Uh, David Pasquazi. Okay. Yeah, nice. Stick to landing. They have a nice moment at the dispensary and she sells, you know, like, he sells her the weed. Lollipop. She, yeah, like, the lollipop weed. Right, right, right. Um, and at the memorial service. So I'd like to see her in... I, there was like a little spark when she interacted with some of the Lodge characters. I wouldn't mind seeing them intersect, but I agree, she probably won't be at the Lodge. I'm not saying right. you become a member, but like, yeah. I don't know. Right, somehow, yeah. you know. A band night. Or, a little more, yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the lodge. Obviously, the lodge is like this character location, but state of mind. State of mind. I love it, Jim. Yeah, it's a lodge is the state of mind. I didn't. I didn't give a crap about. I don't know. I've never been one of those people that like likes that kind of like silly lore. And now I'm like, where can I find a lodge to join? <laughs> yeah. It seems to me that everybody, us in this room at least, connected a show because we appreciate places where human beings can come together in an actual room. You know, like not online, which I'm not even dogging. I don't even think that that's a bad version of it. But there is something about having a physical space where people kind of can meet and mingle and be together. I mean, I own a restaurant. Like, I love that stuff, you know? Like, it's very important to me. 
it does feel like it shows very timely in that that we have been away from it for long enough, you know, like at least in our experience, right? We've been in Brooklyn for about 20 some odd years now, right? So we've even, when we moved here uh, and there were places that we like to go and they don't exist anymore, you know, like O'Connor's, right? And so to me, I, I think that there's probably the appeal a lot to the show is that over the the course of the last 15, 20 years, we can all sense ourselves sort of moving away from those kinds of things, you know, like bowling leagues or lodges or whatever they are, but like reasons for human beings to get to into a same room together and kind of share a drink together, you know, like I, mean, I do think that that feels like something that's sort of slipping away from us, which is a big part of the appeal of the show and probably a, a big driver of why it was created in the first place. I feel like here in New York City, we have tons of opportunities to be around other people and to come together with groups of friends and, and like-minded people. Whereas in, pl in smaller places and more rural and, you know, smaller towns, that's where it really matters that, like, these opportunities for connection and social interaction are maybe disappearing. Bart, we were doing a little bit of show prep and you talked about this, like, you can smell the lodge, the way they depict it on camera, like or, like, even, like... You know, it almost sweats. One friend of mine had a basement that was, like, uh, renovated in, like, the 70s, and then it hadn't been renovated in a very long time, and another friend of mine came into this basement at some point. I'd sort of known the basement for a long time, and then he came in contact with the basement, and he referred to it as scratch and sniff, you know, like, <laughs> you know, carpet on the walls and on the, on the floors, and there's just kind of, like, little patches of it here and there, and those things um, sort of absorb smells, mold, and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, and even think, you know, the wood tiling on the walls, they kind of all have a very specific smell, especially to me. I feel like I'm smelling it. And especially, you know, at that one point when they go up to the uh, room that they keep and they're, like, cleaning it out where um, bed that comes down that dud falls through the wall through, he's, like, talking about the mold and stuff like that. And it was just like, I, you know, I don't know. I felt like I was in the room. But, yeah, there's, there's something definitely very tactile to the whole viewing of it, in my opinion. And at my age, it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, basements of when I was a kid, you know, and like that was a place where you would go to get away from, you know, you could play down there. Growing up in the suburbs, you're very little parental, uh, you know, it's not like now where there's always a parent around to make sure everything's okay. You were, you would always go out in the backyard or in the basement or whatever. And so, I don't know, there's something special about basements in my opinion. Okay, so the lodge that we're going to start and I'll join is going to be called the basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny how the when Dud falls into the secret chamber and the mummy and not mummy and all that, the old books, it looks like the cleanest room. <laughs> it's like the most meticulously kept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Been hermetically sealed. Like, yeah, hermetically sealed. And like they end, up in, they end up congregating in there like a good amount. Yeah. <laughs> Probably because it's like not nearly as gross as some of the, the other places. And I also love how like all the activities of the lodge, band night and pan, the pancake breakfast and scout meetings. I thought that like that part of it was hysterical. The other big character or setting really is state of California and more specifically uh, Southern California. Not the Southern California, Rodeo Drive, Hollywood, L.A. You know, we, we obviously see that in pop culture and movies, entertainment, capital, blah, 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 blah. We see such a different version of Southern California. Jim, you're the only one of the three of us that actually hail from that region of the nation. Did that hit you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing is they're constantly going to strip malls. The main one being where Dudley's uh, pool shop was and where the donut shop is that's kind of 
Dud's headquarters. And the loan shark. And the pawn shop where he keeps getting terrible terms. So it was kind of nostalgic for me growing up in a place where the closest the closest thing that you could walk to from my house that wasn't another house was a strip mall. And next to that was another strip mall and the next to that was another one. The donut shop was especially reminiscent for me of my childhood. Those kind of independent donut shops are all over Southern California. We don't really have that here. We have like this recent renaissance of hipster donuts with like... <laughs> Blood orange, hyacinth, and, and ginger pellets on them, and which I'm not into at all. It's like Southern California, I don't know, there's this culture of these donut shops that just like do the basics and do them well, and they're all over the place. And a lot of them are operated by Asian American families, such as the one on the show. The show nailed that aspect of Southern California living for me. Only, I think, 10% of it was filmed in Long Beach, and 90% was filmed in Georgia, but despite that, they captured the feel. Yeah, I was shocked when I heard that number. I couldn't, I just felt, it It really feels like you're in California. I, mean, I was in Long Beach for like a conference, and then I hung out with our mutual friend, Matt Army, and he kind of gave me a driving tour of that whole area. It was like very kind of like off-putting, like how much it wasn't, you know, quote unquote, Southern California. What, the Beach Boys? Yeah, exactly. Is that, like that's what you picture, yeah, yeah, California yeah. is just, you know. Yeah, or Hollywood, or like, you right. know, like. But it's, but it's glamorous. Of like, you know, kind of but it's like bright and sunny and glamorous. Yeah. And, and I'd been to downtown LA shallow. already, which is its own thing. Like, it just wasn't LA at all. And uh, so when I saw that, like, whatever they did get coverage of, of that area for, you know, background shots and establishing shots and stuff, I knew right where I was. I was like, I've seen that loading dock. I've seen that container cart. I've seen that oil rig. I love being in, in that part of... California, like that's it's fascinating to me. But it's such an enormous state. I yeah, mean, it's our great. Like, it's, it's the enormity. Of like it. for me, like watching the show is like opening up a whole other sort of side of it that I wouldn't have even considered. You know, like you, you, you don't. I don't. I personally don't think. I think of it in terms of like L.A. and San Francisco, and that's kind of it. Like uh, Larry's trailer that he lives in, there was that oil derrick, the oil pump. Yeah, and you do just see those all over the place. Just driving, you're driving on the freeway, and you're in the middle of like a residential neighborhood, and then suddenly there's a bunch of oil pumps right off the side of the road. And you're like, what? Where yeah, I thought that was really Wyoming? strange. It's yeah, a, definitely a feature. It was a gold rush state, right? Like, so I mean, most people like immediately think of gold mining, but like oil mining is just right. the same. You know, I'm drinking your milkshake and all that. But um, <laughs> uh, but Jim, our resident numerologist, actually dug into uh, the numerology behind 49 and its connections to California. You want to run down what the numbers say? Well, California was a 49th state. Numbers. It actually was not. Oh, okay. A lot of people have pointed out that the crying of Lot 49, and Jim Gavin, I believe, has confirmed this, that in part the show's title is an homage to the Thomas Pynchon novel, The Crying of Lot 49. But for me, that number 49 like, clearly had some other significances related to the show. You know, One is 49ers were prospectors for gold, in a way, so are alchemists. And the first time we ever see Dud, he's prospecting himself in a way he's got the, his metal detector on the beach looking for anything valuable which where he finds the ring to the lodge right. indeed exactly it's his dad's uh, uh, equipment too by the way right right so his dad before him you know did the same thing specific to Long Beach um, there's a university there Cal State Long Beach and they their mascot has historically been the 49ers until they very recently decided that it was no longer appropriate because of concerns about the history of that 49er gold rush and the way that 
prospectors possibly participated in or definitely participated in. I need to read more about it. Uh, the genocide of Native Americans. So they have this mascot, Prospector Pete. They got rid of him within the past year and they just, in the past month, voted, the student body voted that their new mascot would be the Sharks. <laughs> so there's your uh, trajectory. How did Jim uh, Gavin know that? <laughs> uh, and then the last thing I wanted to say that I found in an article about that change from the 49ers to the Sharks was that Cal State Long Beach was built, and this is a quote from the New York Times, was built on the former site of the sacred village of Puvanga, Puvangna, where the Tongva indigenous people lived long before European contact. And we know of the Tongva because Dud loves to tell people they lived in the same spot, in the same area for 3,000 years. What was it, just like fishing and relaxing or fishing and chilling out? I don't know. Yeah, you a very, know, very basically <laughs> reductivist view of their <laughs> culture. Of their existence, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the beatific, yeah. The point being America. that they got it right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like. So, yeah, that was all I had on 49 and the other possible meanings that could be interpreted. And I picked up on rewatching, and then Jim, you had to go and do a specific dive on oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. that when Dud is like recovering, you know, we hope, from the shark attack wound on the beach in the final scene of season one. He's kind of coming in and out of consciousness. He's hallucinating. He sees his dad around him, you know. But also, there's very quickly these fade in and outs of some of these uh, uh, Native Americans. They kind of, so they make an appearance to him in his uh, shock dream, along with his dad. Tongva, we presume. Ta yes, Tongva, we presume. We're going to get into this as we go on. And obviously, when we get the B and C and D storylines in Season 2 recaps, to dive into the myriad of characters. But this is a rich rich world like the 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 secondary and tertiary characters on the show could be shows in and of themselves yeah what's what's quick we haven't even go ahead we haven't even talked about champ no i was gonna say well let's go around the horn and say what what's your uh favorite like you know sub character oh it's tough but i mean i don't know i i think i mean i said it champ i maybe champ i don't know there's something about him that just like sums up so much of well, first of all, I think he's just like walking Karl Marx on the set, basically. Wild hair, and, you know, he's always talking about how bad capitalism sucks. And, you know, I don't know. He just seems to, like, pop in a little bit here and there just at the right moments. There's He's got a lot of great moments. Like you were saying, he sits down to get the interview at the temp place. Like, when um, Dud is leaving, he's also, like, the security guard when Dud is... It's another one of those fantastic moments when they're trying to set, do, like, this sex scene together and then like it's just it, it like stumbles and goes weird and then by like explaining it dud kind of like salvages it and then turns it into a really sexy moment between the two of them or whatever and the minute they sort of start going at it then um he's walking by in, in the foreground and yeah, like yeah. yeah it doesn't yeah it's like right as soon as they go over the desk he like you know the timing of it is kind of perfect you know he when he's uh when dud is getting chased by those guys he's like dead asleep you know he's i don't know he like comes in in these little moments like throughout the he's like a he's like a great pinch of salt here and there and he, jim hot take who's your favorite secondary character gerson oh well you guys are like laurel and hardy picks there yeah you? gotta go with the uh shamrock's kitchen folk yeah right. uh, kitchen crew gerson doesn't have a lot of lines but they're all pretty funny and he's in some key scenes like he's at the father's memorial yeah he's in the liz's like uh get drunk at work day 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're on the shopping cart jousting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, he, he, yeah, yeah, he, up. he says that thing about his, his, the whole thing about his godson. He's got to protect him from people who are going to poison him. <laughs> I appreciated that a lot. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> he said, like, well, that's what I got to figure out. Like, well, who's, yeah, yeah, who's, who's going to poison him? That's what I got to figure out. I'm hoping to see more of him in season two. I actually, this is going to be kind of a weird take. I like Gloria was such an interesting sidebar. Like, I thought her character was fascinating. I love it. I mean, she was as much. She was like Dud's first brush back into some semblance of reality. You know, he has a connection with another human being. Oh, sexual reality. Yeah, of, of and, course. And even like a connection with her, and then like kind of teaches him the value of good work and like this like strange like off as automaton way. And I don't know. I there's like a lot of pathos in her character. And like when she's like it's horrifying when she's telling her mother like I want you to die. You know, yeah. like that is so it's such an awesome way to break up with her. <laughs> And kind of like I don't think that was really his intention. I don't know. Maybe I missed that, but I don't know. Like it just like he knew the inevitability of it, or like he knew like finality of it. I don't know if he knew that. I don't know. Like I think he just feels like that it's his duty to sort of like help people along the way. Yeah. that's the way I read it anyway. You know. Yeah, me too. I think because he but... definitely seemed like he was even still trying to help when he was like, "Oh, her diaper's leaking." Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's he, the straw that breaks I don't think deal. he was like dumping her, but almost as like a way, like, but he also knew like, this had to be done. I helped her cross this thing. Right. But like, and now that I. That also was like a. I have fulfilled my. Yeah, yeah, duty yeah. Like here. burned the bridge, right. yeah. Or built a bridge, right? Like, let's get her, you know, like. But bu- he exited and burned it behind him. Yeah, for him personally with her, but yeah. he but his job was to get her to kind of like get over, you know, because if you can come out and say it, like, I wish you would just fucking die. Then I think the point is is that she can move on. Yeah, because she feels horrible about it, and she's obviously like a very repressed, repressed person, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when she gets mad when he's looking at her notebook or whatever, you know, her sketches. Yeah, her yeah. sketches. Yeah, give me that. They're, like, they're horrible anyway. Friends change me. Yeah, I. That's I why know. I kind of felt. Oh, she's irredeemable, and that he's never going to be able. His positive vibe is never going to infect her. She's always going to be right. down on herself and and her situation. Right. You know. So this guy. Yeah. It was temporary there with Dad. Yeah. I was going to say also love Janet. Oh yeah, Janet was great. In the- crazy twenty-five-year-old CEO that pretends to be thirty and <laughs> says things like intuition is the whore child of truth and joy. <laughs> Uh, I have been in so many of those kind of environments. Not ne- not quite. I feel that so douchey. fucking lucky. I, I've never been on any of these boats, but I haven't been. I haven't <laughs> been on the boat. I've been on bad conference things. rooms. What, what did you say? <laughs> bad things were said and done. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like me in confession when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> I was afraid to tell the priest what happened. Bad things were said. Bad things were thought. <laughs> I've been in those workshops, so like, and I, I made even a little meme of it. I'll we'll, when we you know post these, I'll I'll post it somewhere where you all can see it in show notes or something like that. When that uh, and what's his name? Uh, I I want to say his name right because he's a funny comedic actor, but the guy who plays like the workshop leader, you know, he's like a bullwhip, oh yeah, yeah right. in a snow globe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, you know him from Chuck. Yeah, you know, things. playing your dreamscape, you know, marketing special yeah. path. That guy was great. Yeah, and uh, no, I've definitely been in that workshop. So Vic Sahe. Yes, hats off to anyone who survived that workshop it is it can be interesting all right so i think that'll bring us to a close we're gonna this is gonna end next ending part one we'll talk more about what we plan to do for the rest of this season one uh our season one of this podcast to go along with 
season two of Lodge 49. And we're also going to dive much deeper into the sort of capitalist critiques of the show. We're going to dive into the music, which is just, you know, amazing. Bart referenced the Lee Hazelwood. I, and In fact, to call back to then, I, I knew, like, that was, I was like, I, I got to tell Bart about this show. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we're also going to dive deeper into the mysteries of the Lodge and the order of the links and get everyone ready and juiced up for the beginning of season two. So we will end part one. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned uh, for part two. Get caught up, and uh, let's all be ready. Bye for now.